Hello, and welcome to the Give Us a Sign podcast, the official signature podcast, where we talk about deaf culture, identity, and issues. I'm your host, Matthew Ford. Each week, we're joined by a special guest, and this week, I'm delighted to say we're joined by a deaf TV presenter on BBCC here, a TV chef dubbed the Deaf Nigella, who features on ITV This Morning and BBC Breakfast, and also a BSL teacher, assessor and mentor. This week's guest is Yvonne Cobb and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Yvonne now. Good morning Yvonne, how are you? I'm fine, very well, I'm glad to be here. Great, and for our listeners who may not have heard of you or know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about yourself? Yes, yes, so I'm a profoundly deaf woman. I use British Sign Language and speech from birth. Um, and I'm married, I'm a mother, and I'm a professional television presenter. I've presented on ITV and the BBC, and I'm also a cookery teacher and a regular vlogger. So I've got lots of different roles. Very busy. <laughs> yes. Um, have you always wanted to be a, a TV presenter? Well, Yes, I've always been my, it had always been my dream to be a TV presenter, but I never thought it would happen until, you know, I was teaching sign language for over 20 years before I was a TV presenter, and then there was a life-changing moment, you know, when my children had grown up and I wondered what I was going to do, and that's when I became a TV presenter, and I'll explain later how it happened, but it was just an incidental moment that meant that it was able to happen. And that's, you know, I think they say life starts before, and that's true for me. So how did you begin your work with BBCC here? Mm-hmm. So I've always had a good relationship with BBC. You know, I've always been in their programmes, talking about sports, events, etc. And then through working as a teacher, one summer evening, I was driving home, I was on the motorway, and I'd been to Coda Camp, which is children of deaf adults and I dropped my children off at that camp which is a really lovely camp every year and so I dropped them off and I got a text message saying could you present see here tomorrow and it was because one of the other presenters had had to pull out and I said what tomorrow as in the very next day but I went without any practice without any preparation and it went really well and I carried on doing it for the next for the next five years. Do, do you think not having the preparation helped? Not having the time to overthink it, maybe? Well, you know, it could either go, it could go either way, couldn't it? So it could either go disaster again, but, you know, because I'm bilingual with English, written English and sign language, it really helps to understand how you're going to present on screen. If you're confident following an autocue, for example, it means that you can do that kind of job without preparation. Good. And how did you feel making history as the first uh, deaf presenter on the morning? Well, really, I'm still kind of gobsmacked because we've been fighting for six months at my TV to get me on the green slot on this morning, you know, with Holly and Phil. And I've been calling them for six months non-stop. And finally, I got a FaceTime meeting 
with the producers and they were a bit dubious about how it was going to work with a deaf person but I convinced them that it would be absolutely fine and they invited me for a screen test and I brought along, um, you know, and they said you've got eight minutes as well to do your cookery and so they had all the cameras around and you know it's kind of real studio but not live and then after that they said yes we're going to we want you in next month for a live cookery slot and then it just carried on from there. And when's your, when's your next TV slot like to be? It will be next month. Um, I'm back for the third time in March. So I'm building such a good relationship with them. I think it's so important for a deaf person to be in such a mainstream programme on primetime television. And I think it's a good way of bringing awareness that there are deaf people out there that can do jobs that you know hearing people might not have thought of, and also bringing the right support like silent interpreters, which are visible on screen. So yeah. That's brilliant. And all the food looks delicious. I haven't tried any yet, but I'm trying to make it here. You have to. Next time we'll be on the train. It's funny because yeah. um, on the first time that I was on, I used my mum's recipe, so it felt lovely that I was bringing in something personal. So I love that. Was that the chimichangas? <laughs> yes, the chimichangas. Yeah. 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 And then the recent one um, was the soup, which was the yeah. um, with flatbreads, yeah, and people were just thinking, oh, it's really hard to make flatbreads, but actually it's so simple. You just need three ingredients, very cheap as well. And I know everyone was thinking at the moment about their budgeting and how to how to cook on a budget. So I tried to make the most kind of simple recipes. And it's one of my favourite things to do as well, create recipes. Oh, this food talks to me, very hungry. <laughs> do, do you have a favourite between Fred and Holly? Are we allowed to ask that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. They're both really, really lovely. And they're so interested in sign language as well. You know, it's my USP, my unique selling point, that I'm able to cook and sign at the same time. So it's a win-win situation. You know, I don't really believe that, you know, you should only focus on sign language, you know, if you're hearing, you know, on television, for example, you know, with cooking, I'm juggling, talking to Phil and Holly, questioning me, looking at the interpreter, watching what I'm doing with the cooking, signing one hand sometimes. You know, it's a real juggle. And, you know, I actually, you know, reached out internationally because deaf people all over the world have been able to see this cooking stuff. So I think it's made a real positive impact. Yeah, it definitely has. And what's your, what's your favourite meal to cook if you're at home? What do you, what do you like? Oh, that is the most difficult question, Matthew, but I really love making roast dinners. Yeah, I think that's my, my favourite because it just makes everyone happy and my family love a roast dinner. They always say it, even on birthdays, not even on a Sunday. Birthday treat. Yes, exactly. And also, the queen of leftovers. I know how to cook up a dish leftovers. Sometimes my children are a bit dubious about what I'm making with the leftovers, but I'm like, just try it. The flavours work. It's all on that. So you mentioned earlier about your online cookery classes. How are those how are those going and how do people find out more if they want to give it a go? Yes, it's really interesting because before COVID, 
how I was going out and about, and then obviously lockdown, and I had to make quick decisions how I was going to deliver these healthy classes, so I did them online. So I did an online session with a friend first, and I said, okay, that's worked well, I'm confident to roll this out, and then I just did them online, I'm still going now. So I'm doing out and about healthy classes, and then also online classes, so I do both. And <laughs> the cooking section is all things like, you know, we can do kind of parties or we can do group sections with them, but, and also for children as well, and I do deaf children, and, you know, all walks of life can be taught on the cooking classes. And, you know, you can just look for my name on my website, on my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that's how you find me. Do you think by doing it online you've got a bigger market now of more people wanting to do it? Absolutely, because you know it's also linked to me travelling. But if you like travelling, you know you can you can try and do a class. But it's really nice that I'm able to spread the work out, so I don't have to go all over the place because I'll be worn out. You know, it's about getting that work-life balance. Some people think I'm always out of that, but I actually have a really good work-life balance. So I'm really proud of that. It's great. So. What does a typical, typical day of your, your life look like at the moment? Oh, so I would say every week is different. So, you know, perhaps one week could be crazy busy and another week could be really quiet. But in a normal average day, I would say, I would always start with a good breakfast, catching up with my children, what their plans, you know, they're both left school now and they have their own businesses and they have their own jobs. So I do a little catch up with them. I watch ITV this morning, that time obviously, where I catch up with my emails, you know, they're biggest I'm a big fan of them, they're fans of me. And then I'll catch up with on FaceTime, online meetings, go to the shops, grab some shopping, walk, walk, walk the dog, visit my mum. I'm third, she's deaf, and my mum's um, deaf, and I'm third generation deaf. And my children are deaf, but they sign, and I'm um, And then at the end of the day, I'll end it with just chilling out and watching a good program. And at the moment, what I'm watching, it's always oh, a series called Clarkson's Farm. Oh, yeah. um, so good because it's in the Cotswolds and it's so funny, and I love it. It's really good. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Yeah, so my days can be really varied. You know, sometimes if I'm doing a long day of filming as well, that could be different, maybe two or three days away from home, and then I'll chill out. I also also feel like I have to, you know, kind of decompress before I'm ready to go back out into the world. Absolutely. So, at this point in the podcast, we'd like to play a little game with our podcast guests. So, So I'm going to give you the name of four dishes, three of them are real, and one of them's fake, and you've got to try to tell us which one's fake. Okay. Okay, so I'll give you the four names first. So the first one's easy, bubble and squeak. The next one is devils on horseback. Next up we have Spotted Dick. Mm-hmm. And last up we have Abandoned Frog. <laughs> I think the fourth one. The fourth one is fair? I think, I think you're testing <laughs> now. Abandoned Frog. Is that a French dish? 
Oh, I don't know, maybe fourth one, is that fair? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make so, that up? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit more about your deafness and what it's been like growing up as a, a deaf person? Sure, so, I, you know, grew up deaf and it's completely normal for me because my family are all deaf. So, um, with my mum and dad, that deaf, but they really tried to make sure that I was always encouraged to speak as well, so that I could integrate with hearing people. So I used speech growing up, but, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was at a basic level. And then, as my sign language developed, I just became more fluent and um, comfortable in, in sign language. But I really, really still am comfortable mix, mixing with hearing and deaf people. I'm very sociable, although I'm a quiet person, but, you know, I was the same growing up. I think, I remember when I went to the mainstream primary school, and I wasn't happy there at the mainstream school. I didn't understand uh, what the teacher was saying, I didn't have any support, and I missed out on quite a lot. And then I went to a grammar school for deaf children, and I blossomed. And the access, you know, just purely by having it taught to me in sign language so much better. And a lot of my school friends became my lifelong, lifelong friends. So that was the beauty of going to a deaf school with peers that were like me. And then I carried on to college, university, got a degree, got a job, and um, brought lovely children. And I think that's all thanks to my parents. What sort of challenges have you faced growing up as a deaf person? Mm. I think... The challenges that most of us deaf people have, or certainly I've had, is that we do have to work harder to compared to our hearing peers. It's like double the work, double the labour. You know, the barriers that we have to fight, we're not giving up, being resilient and making sure that we have to be, you know, preserve that energy. And it's a real challenge to not give up. And it's fine to give up and, and take a break and come back because, you know, life is about ebbing and flowing, but it is about having to keep going. So that's been a challenge for me. I remember when I was 19 and I moved to America for nine months. And, you know, a lot of my friends were kind of shocked that a deaf person was going to go and work abroad. Because back then, I'm talking about my, um, revealing my age, over 25 years ago, you know, I was on my own. There was nobody with me. And I think that was a big challenge for me, but I did it. And now, of course, loads of deaf people travel all around the world, which is really good. Where in America did you go to live? I was at Chicago. Oh, very nice. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. A lovely place. Very nice. Yeah. So what is your one wish for the deaf community over the next 10 years? So my wish for the next 10 years for the deaf community is linked to my recent reporting for BBCC here. I've been presenting a documentary where we've taken a real hard look at deaf elderly people who use BSL in care homes. And we found that there's only been one care home for deaf people up until very recently. And there's thousands and thousands of deaf elderly people, so where do they go? You know, they're, they're lonely, they're not with other deaf people in care homes, their mental health suffers, 
So I want to see that change. I want in the next 10 years, and I'm thinking about myself in the future. Where am I going to be? I don't want to be stuck with hearing people who can't sign. So I wish that deaf charities and the government will take care of that and they will change that for the better for deaf people. What do you think they could do to, to change that? Um, oh, I think, I think at the moment there's not enough awareness about this issue. People don't realise it's happening. So I think we need awareness raising first. Maybe we could have deaf charities getting involved in raising awareness and campaigning and governments changing. I mean, if I take Amsterdam for an example, they have 200 deaf people in one care home and with different levels of care. You know, some still people, some deaf people still live in family, but there's 200 deaf people that are able to be looked after in one care home. I really want us to model that. And I would love to be involved with that too. Obviously last year we passed the BSL bill. Do you hope that can go somewhere to maybe challenging the government on issues like that? And what else would you like to see uh, achieved by the BSL advisory board? Well, it's still early days, so, you know, we've got our foot in the door, we still need to keep on going, you know, to, to make some real changes. But the main thing is we do have our foot in the door and we are in talks with the government. You know, so as a big person with the BSL advisory board, you know, they're recruiting more and more people to be involved with the campaign to keep it going. And I think that it's really incredible to see that sign language is, you know, visible and people aren't embarrassed by it. People were embarrassed to sign publicly before because people would stare and be like, oh my gosh, they're signing. But now people are like, oh cool, I want to sign. So the attitude towards sign language has really changed. My worry, however, is will there be enough BSL teachers? And, you know, I've been a teacher for over 20 years and I know the world of teaching very well. And it is a concern that the proper, properly trained teachers, you know, that have learned the right curriculum, there's, there's lots of factors to think of. So, you know, even in schools for hearing children, you know, if the teacher's teaching sign language, are they hearing, are they deaf, or, you know, lots of things to think about like that. Yeah, we are. We haven't seen discussions with the, regarding the GCSE and how we make sure there's enough people to, to deliver that. So that's, well, fingers crossed, hopefully the advisory board will drive things in the right direction and we'll make a, a lot of progress. So what does the, what does the future hold for Yvonne? What's your future plans? Ooh, well, I would love to be a presenter, not a deaf presenter, but a presenter on any mainstream program. I just happen to be deaf, you know, with the right voiceover or with, maybe without a voiceover, but with subtitles. You know, maybe a travel program or a gardening program or, you know, that's my next thing. Any, any favourite program you would like to go on? Well, there's loads of different TV programs I'd love to be in, but recently I watched House Renovations and the two presenters, Alan Carr and Amanda Holden, um, and it was brilliant. And I 
loved watching them and you know then we have a chat together about what they did change and what challenges maybe you know we could do one with yeah, people going around the world oh, and maybe I could be a presenter on that. Oh, can we like that. We're going to talk about So we always finish the podcast with the, the same question. If you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would that advice be? So I would say, don't take life too seriously. Because I remember when I left university and I was working immediately and I was like, I have to do this, I have to do that. I worried. And, you know, I think it's normal to worry, but I do think that if we just try to not take life too seriously and think, why are we, why are we taking life so seriously? Give yourself some positive talk, laugh things off, you know, loads of things have gone on, but laughing it off has really helped. And, you know, just not take it, just don't take it too seriously. Great advice. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the Give Us a Sign podcast. Look forward to seeing what comes next for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne, for joining us. It was a really interesting interview. If any of that resonates with you, you can find out more information about Yvonne on her website or see Yvonne on BBC C here, ITV This Morning or BBC Breakfast. I've been your host, Matthew Ford. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate us. Until next time, goodbye.